Welcome to That's Derm Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought-provoking conversations about biologics, especially medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show. Welcome to That's Derm Good. Today, my guest is Kimberly Bailey. Kimberly is a partner and owner of KRK Value-Based Consulting. Thank you for joining me, Kim. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and spend some time with you. Yes, me too. I'm so excited to talk about MIPS. Yes. (laughs) So I'm going to let the expert explain. Thank you. So back before MIPS was um, initially implemented, what happened was CMS looked at the longevity of the Medicare reimbursement, and they recognized that the Medicare reimbursement was always adjusted for physicians based off the sustainable growth rate. And that was no longer an option that would work. Medicare would run out of money because our Medicare patients are the ones that have the chronic conditions like COPD, Mm -hmm. heart failure, diabetes, coronary artery disease. They spend the most money. So Medicare had to come up with a new way to reimburse physicians. And what they did Mm -hmm. is they froze the Medicare fee schedule indefinitely. So they went and said, moving forward, we're no longer raising the Medicare fee schedule. And then as soon as they did that, they then implemented and passed MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. MIPS is ultimately a data program that is shifting from fee for service to value over volume. So Mm -hmm. it's encouraging physicians to capture the preventative data and to take care of those patients and to keep them healthy. Um, And in theory, the data elements align with that. So there's a points game. So we need to ask specific questions that ultimately will impact the patient's healthcare. And the better we are at that points game and and the more patients Mm. we ask and the more data completeness we have for those, um, the more points we get. And um, you have to receive a minimum of now for this year, 75 points to avoid a negative adjustment. So for instance, if their groups do not participate in this and they get less than 75 points, they will get up to a negative 9% adjustment in their Medicare fee schedule. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you do well in the program and you receive over 75 points, you can earn a positive adjustment. And what they're doing is this is a budget neutral program. So they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. So those physicians that don't do well in this program Mm -hmm. ultimately get a negative adjustment. And that is what makes up that positive adjustment for the physicians that are bought into value-based care and are answering the questions and implementing the workflow um, in theory that is supposed to keep their patients healthier and out of the hospital and spend less money. Really transitioning money across physicians. Okay. So like then you're talking about the the negative reimbursement, meaning they get less when they're billing for the office visits and things like that. Yep, absolutely. So any physician that receives a negative adjustment, it's interesting because what happens in 2023 will impact your 2025 Medicare reimbursement. Mm -hmm. Um, And they take that negative adjustment will hit every single dollar that you receive from Medicare. So you'd see that negative adjustment claim or code on your uh, Medicare remittance in 2025. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. And then on the same side, for those that earn a positive adjustment, they're going to see um, a modifier code CO-144 on their Medicare remittance starting January 1st, 2025. And that's actually the positive adjustment that's hitting every dollar. Hmm. So you get reimbursed by 
file answering specific questions. Yeah. And then off in the chart notes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's all about um, data completeness and workflow implementation and implementing Mm -hmm. all of these metrics that are going back to supposed to take care of the patients inside and outside of your office, keep them healthy, keep them out of the hospital. They are incentivizing and rewarding physicians for value-based care, which ultimately is a win for Medicare because the healthier your patients are and you know, if you have a melanoma patient that comes in and you're getting them in that recall and they have that six month, nine month, 12 month file follow up, in theory, you are keeping them in a high risk recall and you're more likely to catch a melanoma before it gets out of hand, metastasizes, and that patient ultimately mm-hmm. is extremely sick or has a fatal outcome. Um, so that's one of the dermatology measures. So By doing that, you're not just taking care of your patients and in theory, keeping them healthier, but you're also reducing astronomical spending, which Medicare, you know, it makes sense to pay the physicians more that ultimately are not costing them more. Right, right. So how do you implement that workflow into the office? Because I mean, I'm assuming there's a lot of questions that you have to answer (laughs) in order to, to get good scoring. So there's so much to this program. Um, And, you know, I worked as a practice manager assistant and a medical assistant and prior off and and all the different parts of the Mm -hmm. office. And this program is just extremely difficult to keep up with because there's multiple layers to it. So there's the MIPS program, understanding how the program works. Mm -hmm. There's measures for every single specialist across the whole entire country. And then there's drilling down onto your specialty. So what is the scope of work in our practice? What measures can we implement that are going to have less of an impact on our staff? Because Mm. all staff members are overworked today. It's just the Mm. way it is. So what can we implement that's not going to be disruptive to our workflow and our staff and our physicians, but ultimately at the same time, what is already built into our workflow and applicable to our patients? So we look at the whole MIPS program, we look at all the measures, and then we look at the measures that we can implement in our office. And then from there, based off of your EHR, we go ahead and we pull up all the workflows and we learn your system. Mm. And we come to you then and we say, here are the measures that we recommend based off your specialty, based off your scope of work. Here are the workflows. And then we train you on how to implement those into your office. Um, Mm. We have some groups where we train the practice administrator and they train the lead MA and it trickles down. And I have some groups where I meet with physicians every month because they want to be the ones that know this inside and out. So our scope of work, how we work with practices is very different than a traditional MIPS consultant because We like to think of ourselves as your business partner. We are all hands on deck. So our service is a monthly subscription and it's unlimited meetings. So as our practice grows, they have the, uh, as our clients grow, they have the ability to utilize us more and more and more um, Mm -hmm. to to train those new MAs, to train those new physicians. Um, And so we are your business partner and we're committed to making this a streamlined and effective process. I like to think of us as your Google Maps. You might know how Mm -hmm. to get to the destination, but when you work with us, we're going to tell you where the traffic lights are, where the accidents are, and the easiest way to get to your destination. Right. So when you think about new MAs and coming out of 
of school, that's not something that they automatically learn. Like, is it just a broad overview? And then you would have to come in and, and learn how to actually implement that in the pra- in the workflow and the process. Yeah, it's, I mean, the new MAs um, and even RNs, they're getting a general overview, I think, mm-hmm. because they're having to understand electronic medical records, which right. 10 years ago, there really wasn't, you know, it was, it was more paper. There are a lot of groups on paper. So I think the mm-hmm. medical assistants today have a little bit of an advantage because they're at least comfortable with, you know, charting on a computer and, you know, just putting stuff in on a computer. So they are getting a general overview, but I think until you find where you're going to be practicing that in that specialty, you can't dive into it. Mm-hmm. Um, this program changes every single year. My team and I just combed through we were on page 2,536 of the MIPS final rule that just passed um, wow. for 2024. It's November and we're coming through and we're going to have to go to our clients in December and say, these are the new measures for this year. Everything that we just learned for the most part, we can keep some of it, but it's time to forget because mm. now we have to change. Here's the new program. And with that, there's also a lag from the EHR vendors because we can go through and implement the measures, but they have to go through coding and configuring and rules and regulations and mm. update everything on the back end. So more often than not, my team is implementing changes for 2024 that and the EMR EHR vendors aren't ready. They don't implement that sometimes till August of the following year. Wow. So there's a blind, blind section of this. And as an MA coming straight out of school, no one's spending time on this information. It's one of those things that it is mandatory, but unless it's your full-time job, which that it is my full-time job, you don't know the ins and outs of it or the details of it. Cause it's just impossible to keep up with if you are doing anything else. Right. Yeah. That's wild. So it really affects the bottom line. I mean, if they're not documenting certain things properly, then that can negatively impact their score, which in turn negatively impacts their reimbursement. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for 2024, there's no COVID hardship, which we've been able to utilize in the past and we've used it in 2023. So 2024 is the first year where Mm -hmm. groups have to get 75 out of 100 points to keep their bottom line. Anything below that will lead to a negative adjustment. So it is going to be extremely difficult to ensure that you're keeping your Medicare reimbursement. But on the flip side, for those that do well in the program, it's going to be very lucrative. You're Mm -hmm. going to get a nice positive adjustment because it's going to be impossible for a large amount of groups to pass and succeed in this program. Yeah. Um, the industry, especially the derm world, it's changed a little bit because past 10 years, you've seen larger groups kind of gobble up the smaller derm groups, right? So you've seen the mm-hmm. large derm groups bring everything in house and buy other derm groups across the country. Um, and that's been beneficial from a contracting standpoint and, um, a pathology standpoint, there's been many benefits to it. And mm-hmm. as everything continues to get complicated, physicians, some physicians are finding themselves where they want to practice medicine and not necessarily be a business owner. So it's been a good solution. Um, however, with these changes in MIPS starting 2024, 
these larger groups are going to be the ones that are going to have a harder time because the larger the group is, the more physicians, the more independent minds, the more medical assistance, the more uncontrollable factors there are. So it's going to take a larger effort to manage that data, to make sure everyone's practicing with the same goals and like-minded make sure that the data is clean, make sure that if you've missed the documentation, that people know that and they're working and fixing the gaps. So mm-hmm. I do see that these larger entities are going to be the ones that will receive the negative adjustments um, sooner because it is going to be harder for them to keep up. Yeah. Unless so- they have a full dedicated MIPS team yeah. um, and they understand, you know, the cost category. That's that's a big one for Durham, which we can unravel that beast. But that yeah. that's a, a huge blind side, blind side for a lot of the Durham groups. Wow. So just to clarify, if your paper charts, then does MIPS not apply? So there are thresholds, performance thresholds you have to meet. And I'd have to look them up. I'm a little outdated on this information. It was, I think, 200 Medicare Part B patients or $90,000 in billable. You, that criteria, you do have to participate in them and the Medicare MIPS program. So I do have a couple of groups that are on paper charts and there are some workarounds, but it is so difficult. Um, if you are a small practice, you have 15 or less NPIs billing onto your tax ID number. You do have the small practice reweighting for the promoting interoperability category, which has been beneficial for those on paper. But this program is meant for everyone to be on an EHR and to be Mm -hmm. documenting it thoroughly Mm -hmm. and utilizing electronic health records and the technology. So if you are on paper, it is a dying art. (laughs) Yeah, it's difficult. So I, I like what you say about documenting thoroughly because, you know, with me and working with the prior authorizations, I mean, that has a huge impact. It has a huge impact on access. And, you know, when I'm talking to offices and I'm trying to relay how important it is for the MAs to know specifically when it comes to like, you know, chronic diseases like psoriasis or um, atopic dermatitis, HS, you know, all of these um, these medications that are biologics that take a prior authorization or even some of the topicals, you know, we're getting the proper documentation that it makes it a lot easier to get that prior authorization approval. So how do those two work together when it comes to what's required for MIPS versus creating a really thorough documentation in the chart note? I think they go hand in hand. In my mind, it's the same thing because we'll just dive into measure 410 psoriasis, documentation of a PGA or BSA for patients that have been on a biologic for six consecutive months. When you go to the CMS fact sheets per per quality measure, there's a whole section with the reasoning behind the measure and why from a medical standpoint, Medicare cares and wants you to ask these questions. Mm -hmm. So for instance, measure 410, the amount of money that is spent on biologics and patients switching biologics and not taking their biologics properly and on the total disease is huge. It's astronomical. So they're looking for ways to make sure that if the patient is on a same biologic for six consecutive months, that they're having a positive outcome and we're not just keeping them on a biologic, no improvement. So measure 410, we'll dive into that. CMS is, there's a denominator. So the denominator for that measure is going to be um, all patients that have been on a biologic for six consecutive months and have your diagnosis code of psoriasis. So L40.0. 
And then the numerator is going to be a patient who have documented physical global assessment PGA, five point or six point scale BSA um, or PASI that meet one of the below specific benchmarks. So they are looking for a PGA to clear to mild skin disease, a BSA, which is three or lower, which is mild disease, a PASI three or DLQI um, documentation. So they're looking for that positive Mm -hmm. outcome. And if they're not getting it, then it's time as a physician to go back and reassess. Why aren't they having that improvement in their disease state? Have we tried every, you know, other medications? Are they taking the medication properly? And so that's the thorough documentation that needs to be in that medical Mm -hmm. chart. But it's also the same medication or documentation that needs to be in there for prior off. You know, if that patient's on a biologic and it's not working and you don't document the PGA or BSA or why they're having adverse effects, and then you go to change medications and you go Mm -hmm. to get authorization for a new medication, it's probably going to be denied because they're not going to understand. So in order to meet the MIPS measure, there's numerator criteria, which is thorough documentation, which completely aligns with, you know, the prior off and getting the medications approved and everything. I I think that MIPS, essentially the numerator for each quality measure is thorough documentation. Mm -hmm. That is amazing. It gets me excited because when we talk to offices, we're going in and we're doing training and trying to educate staff on how to properly document for specifically so that we can get access to these medications, you know, and, and it's so important, but it makes me wonder too, some of these questions that these prior authorization forms are asking, they kind of line up with MIPS. So are they getting these questions like based off of those guidelines? I wonder I haven't looked into it, but MIPS is essentially the guide for Medicare saying this is the best way to practice medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's their best practices. Medicare is saying, yeah. follow our best practices. You will get a high MIPS score if you follow our best practices and we will pay you more. Mm-hmm. Wow. So uh, yeah. value of getting really high scores. What does that increase look like on the reimbursement? Like if you were to get a hundred percent What does that look like? So one of my groups, I'll give you an example. I'll Mm -hmm. keep their information uh, confidential, but they have, I can pull up real quick and get it for you. They are receiving an 8.25% increase on every single Medicare dollar they receive. Um, So, and if this is a dermatology group, so every practice should have access to the qpp.cms.gov website, um, and they should have someone in their practice that has a security official role. That's essentially your go-to for everything MIPS, but it's also your MIPS profile. I call it that. Mm. You can go in, once you go in there, you can check your eligibility and reporting. That will give you your Medicare reimbursement amount um, and all of your MIPS eligibility data. So I'm going to go in real quick for a client of mine and just give you a a good example. So this group, they have their Medicare Part B. So their Medicare allowed charges at the practice are $16.2 million. Hmm. Um, So what you would do is, so I take that 16278865 and I times it by So we earned them off of one year of MIPS consulting, we earned them a $1.3 million incentive. Wow. Right? Which it makes, (laughs) it's worth it. You you gotta do it. And because if you don't get that incentive, you're losing the money and someone else is getting your paycheck. So they're going to earn a minimum of a $1.3 million incentive in their 2024 Medicare reimbursement because we earned them this incentive for their 2022 performance year. 
And what's interesting to me is, well, I find it interesting. Uh, 11,000 patients every day turn 65. So the incentive you earn in 2022 hits your 2024 Medicare reimbursement. It's safe to say that your Medicare volume will probably increase by 2024. And -hmm. you're getting an incentive on every single dollar you receive from Medicare Part B. And so if your Medicare volumes increases by the time you get that incentive, guess what? That incentive is higher. Because it's mm-hmm. more, you know, more dollars it's touching. Right. Uh, it's imperative. I do not think practices will be able to survive if they do not do well in this program. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to hear from Prescriber Point. If you're like me, you're tired of browsing for drug resources all over the web. With Prescriber Point, I can find prescribing and coverage information, prior authorization forms, patient assistance programs, and more for over 35,000 drugs. PrescriberPoint is your free AI-powered assistant that makes your life easier and gets your patients on therapy faster. Get started with a free account or request a demo at prescriberpoint.com slash that's derm good. Yeah. I mean, I can you imagine if someone's like, you know, every, you know, you might lose 9% of your pay this year. Mm-hmm. That's, that's crazy. what you're saying. And if, if you don't perform the way we want you to perform at the minimum, of, you know, if you don't perform our Medicare best practices and thorough medical documentation, you're going to lose 9% of your paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give it to maybe a group down the street from you that is doing a better job. So I'm right. not only taking your pay, but I'm going to give it to your competitors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you think about when you're working with an office, it's typically what the office manager or somebody that's kind of handling the MIPS in the office on the office end, I guess, to kind of make sure that things are running smooth and. Yeah, exactly. So what Mm -hmm. happens, you know, I have some groups as mentioned where I work directly with the physicians. Um, I have some groups where it's the practice administrator or office office manager lead MAs because this is workflows. So I love it when a lead MA is on the phone because I do feel that that brings it to a more realistic workflow for implementation and understanding the scope of working in that practice and how they room patients and, you know, who charts is it? Do they have a scribe? Is it the physician? Is it the MAs who's entering in the, I call the guts of the nodes, the plans, um, So what we do is I touch base with my clients every single month at minimum. We meet, we go over their current MIP score. We look at their measures. Um, We look at if there's been any month over month changes, positive or negative. If there's a negative, if their numbers have dropped, we can actually go in, audit the charts, see if it's connected to a specific medical assistant. And then Mm -hmm. we can do targeted workflow with that medical assistant to bring them up to speed. So we're checking every single month at minimum once a month on our end to make Mm -hmm. sure that we are where we need to be. And if not, we're providing the resources and the follow-up to ensure that that group knows how to get there. And we do things like record our training sessions. So when I meet with a group and they know that they're going to want to watch all these workflows again, um, I'll record that that meeting and then it's theirs. Um, We Mm -hmm. have customized workflows that we've built out like I said, you have unlimited access to us. So if you want to meet, you know, every other week for the first six months to get a good foundation in place, that's what we Mm. do. We love what we do. This is fun for us. So we don't mind getting on the phone and and going over the data and and finding ways to improve. Yeah, that's awesome. So are there any changes 
that are coming up in 2024 regarding dermatology and the MIPS workflow? What are some things that we need to look for that, I guess, when it comes to documentation wise, yeah. that we need to make sure are in the notes? So the big, the two big changes is measure 138 melanoma coordination of care. Mm. And that's been a foundational measure for all dermatology practices. That measure um, has been removed. So that's no longer a measure that needs to be documented. In addition, they have removed measure 402, which is tobacco um, documentation for adolescents. Most dermatology groups have implemented that because that's an easy measure to meet. So mm. those are two measures that are gone. Um, but with that mm. being said... We have to have a minimum of six measures to report to CMS to meet the program quality requirements. So it's going to be going back to the drawing board and looking at what new measures can we implement. There are the two new measures from 2022, the itch score for dermatitis and psoriasis. So those are options, but in my opinion for this year, they're not good options due to um you know, I'm not sure what the benchmarks will be or if they have them yet this year. It might be capped at seven, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it's going to have to go going back for dermatologists. Dermatologists are going to have to go back and look at the quality measures and come up with a new game plan. It's mm. time to pivot because those two measures being removed, 138 and 402, we're going to have to fill in that gap. So it's mm-hmm. going to be finding a new measure that works for the practice. I would probably say closing the referral loop. Measure 374, if you can implement that, that might be a really good one to implement. And then finding a second backup measure to implement. And then once you have those measures, then you got to find the scope of work in your EHR and you have to figure out how to document it. Um, I always start with going to CMS, pulling up the QPP website and pulling up the specification guide per measure because it'll show you how that denominator is created. So what data elements need to be triggered or what billable codes in order for that patient to count in the denominator. Mm. Once you understand when a patient meets the denominator criteria and when they're eligible, then you can understand, all right, what's the numerator and how do I meet it? So we got to go back and figure stuff out for derm groups. It's time to get a little creative and see what new measures we can pull into our workflows. Yeah. Additionally, the promoting interoperability group or category Um, That historically has been a 90-day reporting period. CMS just switched that from 90 days to 180. Hmm. So that is going to be a big change for everyone. So that's also going to be a huge discussion with my clients and coming up with when do we want to start that reporting period and looking at the data starting January 1st, rather than saying, let's just focus on quality. And then once we get the new measures implemented, let's focus on PI. I think we need Mm. to take the promoting interoperability category a little bit more serious, especially for those that have 15 physicians. Yeah, that is a lot of information. And I'm curious, okay, how did you even get into this role in the first place? Yeah, it chose me. It's it's one of those things (laughs) when people ask me, they're like, how do you get into such a niche? I'm like, it just, it happened. Mm -hmm. It picked me. Um, Right. So when I was, so back in the day when I was going through college, I nannied for a doctor, a pain management physician, and I also worked in his medical practice. Um, There I started in the front office. I I helped with pre and post-op. I helped with prior authorization. Um, I kind of learned the whole medical practice and got to touch all, all different areas of it. And 
back then that's when um, Meaningful Use came out, which was the gateway for MIPS. And it was a brand new program. And and they asked me if I wanted to take charge and work on it for the practice. And I did. And then from there, I got snagged by a larger entity, which was a practice management company, and they resold eClinical Works. And with them Mm. reselling eClinical Works, they needed to learn, you know, how to support Meaningful Use. And they also had they received a portion of the grant for, for that was a grant funded program. And so we, we were working for the government on that as well to help groups with meaningful use. And then from there, I got snapped over to um, what used to be Morocco Life Sciences, which specialized in anatomical pathology. And they really were in the derm industry. They penetrated, in my opinion, they owned it. And mm. they offered meaningful use support. And then it transitioned into MIPS support as a value add service for their pathology clients. So it was another service that they sold in addition to their pathology services. And so Mm -hmm. that's where I penetrated the dermatology industry. I was probably covering 10 states doing a hundred plus flights a year, 90 plus dermatology offices. And we had a team of directors and we learned, you know, we had the opportunity to work with very specific EHRs that specialize in dermatology and get to know those EHRs inside and out. It was a great relationship. So that set my foundation of knowing the dermatology specific EHRs and Mm -hmm. and being able to have a large footprint in this industry or specialty. Wow. So you're only in derm. So we're not, we're all over. I love dermatology. So I like to focus mainly in it, but I have groups. Um, I have ENT, I have ophthalmology, I have mm-hmm. surgery centers. I have arthritis, rheumatology. We have urology. We have tons of GI. We have hematology, um, mm-hmm. primary care physicians. I mean, if you build Medicare, we can help you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. That's a lot. It is. <laughs> That's amazing. It is, you know, it's, it's different because it changes every year. So it, it, there's always mm. something to learn, but what I love about it. And I think what really fuels my passion is to a lot, I'll say to most, this is a very complex program, but to me, I understand it and it's all I do. So I get to sink my heart and soul into it and understand right. it in a very detailed manner. And so what's great is when I have the opportunity to come into a practice.